Welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, and I'm so grateful that you have decided to spend a little bit of time with me and my guests to learn a little something. I have a fantastic network of amazing people who make my life richer in so many ways. They make my personal life better, my business life better, my whole life better, and I want to share their stories and their teachings with you so that you can make your life better as well. We are all meant to do great things in our particular domains, and I hope that some of what you learned today may help you to live in your greatness. So I'm here today with Rob Tull of Path 2 Coaching. He's another one of our fantastic Conference 21 speakers who will be speaking at the event on February 20th and 22nd, which of course is conference21.com. So Rob, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you, Michael. I'm so glad to have you here. Um, you know, we're talking a bit before we started recording. And uh, of course, I was looking over what your, your talk's going to be at the conference. But to begin with, share a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got here. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name is Rob Tull, and um, I so I work with professionals and parents that are that feel stuck. And what I mean by stuck is that they're identifying um, certain barriers that are keeping them from either success or fulfillment uh, and just general happiness in their life. And I specifically help them find a better path to get the results they want without losing all the progress they've made. And so it's not a start over approach. It's not a you know blow up life. It is a the, the problem resides in the path, not the person. And so that's what I help uh, professionals and parents with. Okay. Yeah, and it sounds... So when you say stuck, you don't mean like they're actually in glue in the basement or something. <laughs> well, well, well I guess that could be a possibility, and that's a whole <laughs> other set of solutions. But uh, yeah. yeah, precisely. It's it's that feeling of being stuck where um, it, particularly it's a sense of like a lack of freedom or a lack of choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely get that. And, and, it's, and I can imagine, especially if someone's you know, a little bit older, maybe they have a house, they have a family, they have a career and, and they don't want to lose everything they've worked for, but they also don't want to stay on the path they're on. Is that kind of, kind of, oh, kind of person you work with? Yeah. Yeah. You hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think some, sometimes being stuck in success is worse than being stuck in failure. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, and what I find is, and, and so the reason I say like professionals and parents is that it actually pops up somewhere like between like 35 and 50 for people in that age bracket, because you've already invested a lot of money or, or time and effort and, and sweat equity into life of being an adult. And at that point, it's like, well, crap, if I'm not, if I can't do what I want, what do I do now? Do I lose all this other stuff and, and you know, status in life and everything else? And so that tends to be that great, you know, it's almost like a, a version of golden handcuffs, except it's the handcuffs of your own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I've, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've had some times. Um, well, and, and one of sometimes the greatest freedom I've had, and I've, I've seen some other people have this too, is when they get laid off or fired or, or cause some, like I've, I've had jobs that were just good enough, you know, making yeah. too much money to quit, or mm-hmm. I've invested in this too long to give up on it, but I don't know if it's actually going to go anywhere, but I'm making too much to give up on it and try something new. Uh, and 2020 in some ways is a blessing because I was, I was kind of in a limbo state and it forced me to be like, nope, this isn't going anywhere. You've got to do something else. And it forced me out, but you can't always count on a pandemic to, to unstick you. No, absolutely. And when you see that some of the, some people that are the happiest or, or at least the, the most fulfilled in their life are people that had what I call that kind of non-discretionary decision made for them. In other words, they didn't make the decision to change their situation um, something else occurred, whether that's pandemic, global financial crisis, merger and acquisition, something. Um, and what that does is because usually in that situation prior to that non-discretionary event, they feel that they don't have control or, or the freedom of choice over their own life. Um, so what happens is when someone steps in or some you know force steps in and says, I'm going to make a choice for you, it's actually liberating. So suddenly mm-hmm. what happens is you, you realize, oh, I'm not stuck in this structure I do have freedom of choice because now I need to pick what comes next. And, and that really is, um, it, it's like a force of nature. It's like the way that like wildfires set up new growth. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It feels destructive at first, but what it does is it actually seeds the next round of growth. Yeah. That's, yeah. And as you said, non, non-discretionary event. Yeah. Non-discretionary yeah, event. Yeah. Did you get fired? No, I just had a non-discretionary event at work. Non-discretionary event. <laughs> a non- non-discretionary life change. Oh, well, that sounds much better than getting Thanks, fired. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah in, in working people, I found with, you know, some people are stuck in that in that mediocre space. And then 
and, and yeah, I found other people who are blessed to be unemployed, and it really is, uh, it really is great they, if they see it the right way and and take it that way. Uh, so, so what are you going to be talking about at Conference Twenty One along these lines? Um, so specifically, I'm going to be drilling into the idea that we have certain rules around stress and and what we're supposed to do with stress as it relates to pursuing our own success. And they're actually th- that actually prevents us from overcoming the barriers that are stopping us from the real goals that we have. Uh, I find that happens a lot with entrepreneurs. It happens a lot in the business space. So I come from the financial services sector. And so it's, it's really problematic there. So it's an idea that, you know, we subscribe to certain rules about stress. And what happens is that it actually contributes to the barriers that are stopping us from success. And so it's how to overcome that and really start to maximize uh, how we spend our energy and our time. All right. So what would you say is the, the, the first thing that someone should do if they're feeling stuck and want to want to get get moving? So one of the things I like to think about is looking at where where one is stuck and what we're pursuing. And so if we think about the kind of goals in our life, they really fall into kind of two types of categories. You have your objective goals and you have your emotional goals. And so oftentimes we're stuck and we're stuck at an objective goal issue. Um, but what we often do, especially if we are responsible adults or we follow all of the conditioning of our society, um, we tend to put objective goals as the way to access emotional goals. Mm. And so when someone is stuck, let's say that it's you know uh, saving money for college or it's my career, right? So I want to get a promotion because I want to make more money because it allows me to save college for save for college for my kids. Right. So that's an objective goal. Save for college. Um, and maybe the emotional goal that's behind that is that, well, at that point, once I save for college, that takes the pressure off of me to work a job I don't want to work. And I can go do something else that I enjoy for less money because now that obligation is fulfilled. So what happens is, you know, I work for a firm or whatever the circumstances are. And that objective goal or saving for saving for college becomes harder and harder. Right. So I can't get the promotion I want or college becomes more expensive or my firm's industry is in, you know, the dire straits or there's a pandemic. So now this emotional goal that I put behind it isn't getting addressed because it's secondary to that objective goal. Mm -hmm. And so when you're stuck, the irritation of the unaddressed emotional goal is what makes being stuck is so painful that we start to do anything we can to get out of being stuck. That's where substance abuse comes in. That's where when people start blowing up their personal lives, where it's like, well, I can't get what I want to get this objective goal, but I can't live in this sense of pain. So I'm going to either destroy my relationship, destroy my body, destroy my family, destroy my finances, um, because you're fighting against something that's immovable, right? It's, it's this idea you're stuck and you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that tends to be where uh, I think a lot of us have that reaction, right? So that kind of, you know, you're trying to force something that can't get forced. Um, and so the solution we look for is if we address that emotional goal first or as a priority, it really turns down the temperature of being stuck. And now we can look at being stuck and say, well, wait a second, this is just a problem set of my objective goal. Now I feel a lot better. I can think clearly. Now I can find solutions for this objective goal. And it's not this like personal hell that I'm stuck in. Yeah. Well, I, I see it being huge too. Cause if you're, you know, it, decisions are often ultimately measured on, does that get me closer or further from my goals? And if you get to the point where nothing you do can move you towards your goals, then all decisions become equal. So if I can't get towards my goal, well, I could drink all day or I could not drink all day. It won't get me any closer either way. Might as well drink all day. Correct. And especially if you feel that you can't get any closer and you have no, you have no control, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I, I can't do anything to override this. Let me exercise control someplace else. Mm-hmm. Let me, you know, either abuse my body in a negative way or in an overly positive way. You know, let me let me work out to exhaustion or let me drink until I black out. It's the same cause. It's just we're damaging ourselves as a sense of control. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's seizing control in some some part of life because you can't do the rest of it. Right. Um, yeah, and and I, I 
I love that concept of the, the emotional goal versus objective goal. Uh, one thing I always emphasize to people is to really focus on your your biggest dream. And then, you know, a lot of people assume, well, money's the way you're going to get there, or they kind of fall into what other people's goals are for them. And that's how you have someone who their biggest dream is to be able to spend time with their family and maybe take trips with them. And so they work 80 hours a week to make enough money to do that, which means no matter how successful they are, they'll always fail because they're working 80 hours a week. Correct. And, and, and I can tell you what happens too, because um, I, I lived it. And so <laughs> when, we, when we do that, right? So let's say you're working on that objective goal, whether that's you know working 80 hours a week or whatever. And so that's stressful. And it's stressful because in order to work like that, we are literally chasing something that we see as a sense of survival, right? I've got to do this. I need to earn this amount of money. And what happens is I like to think about stress as a form of radiation. And so it's, we, we expose ourselves to this radiation and we assume that it's not affecting us. And, what we, and it's because the effects of stress are so insidious and so subtle at first, we don't realize that it's having an effect on us whether that's mentally, emotionally, physically. But what's worse, and this is where stress is like radiation, we also bring it home. And so mm. what happens is it's on us and we come into an environment that isn't operating at that level. And it's so hard to transition from a stressful work environment where you internalize stress and then you bring it home to a, a you bring it to a family or some sort of, you know, family structure and to assume that that isn't radiating out into the rest of the group, that's that, that system. And so what happens is, and I know it happened exactly in my situation, I was throwing off so much toxic exhaust that I literally contaminated an entire family structure that was not even just, it didn't just break it. It caused the entire thing to dissolve. Like it wasn't even salvageable in any, you know, capacity. Um, and, and that's a direct result of a constant state of stress and unaddressed emotional desires, right? Because the emotional needs were never getting met because they were always behind some sort of objective criteria. And so like the question I used to get, and I, I would, it was almost like a joke. It was like, Rob, when will you be happy? And it's like, okay, well, when I've saved enough money and when I can leave my career, well, that sounds great on paper if you, you admire stressful situations. And that's mm -hmm. a lousy way to live a life, and it's a poisonous way to run a family. And so it's like that's exactly what happens is we start to – we work in that way um, thinking that we're doing the right thing. But in reality, we're actually doing something that, that's, that's pretty you know, terminal. Yeah. Well, and, and, and a lot of this, this concept really resonates, you know, resonates with me in terms of that, that you know, focusing on, on the right goal and, and how stress creates a downward spiral because uh, when I – uh, yeah, I've I've been on quite a roller coaster since uh, since COVID began because I was forced. I had a a, a non discretionary event, um, <laughs> which which got me because yeah, you know, I I've always wanted to do coaching and I love event planning and I kind of stumbled into that. But the coaching was a primary focus, and when I left my previous business and started doing the coaching full time, suddenly everything had to come from that coaching business, mm -hmm. and that meant that I was now going into it because I needed the money, which created a moral quandary because I'm like, well, am I going to bring on a client who maybe isn't, who maybe I'm not ideal for because I need them to pay me? And that then brought doubt into the whole sales process. And suddenly I couldn't sell. I couldn't bring on new clients. I was frozen up. And and what I realized, I stepped back to look at the bigger picture, the bigger goal. I'm like, what is the goal? The goal is to make a certain amount of money per week, per month to pay the bills. Because I had been, been zeroed in on that objective goal. Get the clients. I need a client a week to be able to pay the bills. And I said, no. I need that much money per week. And I, I did the math and I realized I could go drive Uber Eats and I could make that money, relieve the stress and, and did that. And it was, you know, it was totally off, off base, off mission, but it, it served the emotional goal of have the money so I can have the space to build out. And that's, that's kind of where I got the space to start building Conference 21 um, yeah. is I, I relieved the, I, I solved the, the larger goal instead of focusing down on need clients, need clients, need clients, need clients. Cause you know, then you, you, you zero in on one goal and the, the harder you look at it, the, the more you can't see it. Correct. And I think that's, you gave a great example too, because in that stressed out state, we also lose sight of creative problem solving. 
because mm-hmm. we're only focused on survival. We're not focused on, you know, when, when a gazelle is getting pursued by a lion, it doesn't take that time to think about how do I get the best leaves off the tree? It's literally <laughs> about like, how do I not get eaten alive? Yep. And so the ability, like you demonstrated a great ability to shift out of that stress response to think creatively and say like, okay, what is this thing I'm actually, what is this thing that's causing stress? And how can I solve that? you know, openly and creatively, because then that completely changes the dynamic of everything. Mm-hmm. And, and that's also an example, too, that and the problem set lies in the approach, not with you. And so that's oftentimes when we think about like, um, you know, either consultants or coaches and, and people trying to solve a problem, we often get sold the line that you're the problem. You need to transform. Like, in other words, like you suck, you need to change. And so it's like, no, that it's, it's the path. It's the approach we're taking. And if we just, if we just relax and find a different approach, things unlock themselves. We don't have to go through this process of like, well, Rob, you got to get rid of the wife and kids and you got to change your job and you got to, you got to be somebody different and then your problems will be solved. Yeah. You got to think about it differently. It's amazing having that room to, to think and relax. Uh, I, I, honestly, it is, it is probably worth um, twice as much as I'm making doing it just, just to be able to go out and, you know, when I do the gig work, because suddenly I'm no longer planning and thinking. I'm just listening to audiobooks, listening to podcasts, listening to whatever, and, and doing what the app says, you know, driving to McDonald's and dropping off a bag or something. I don't even think, like, I don't think of it as work. It's just driving around listening to things. And I come up with so many amazing generative ideas out there in the car with a bag of McDonald's uh, delivery stuff next to me when I'm like, Oh wait, this is how I should market the conference. Oh wait, this is what I need to do. And just have these light bulb moments because my mind can clear. And uh, absolutely. It's, it's funny you say that too, because like, so I've been in, like I said, I've been in financial services for over 20 years and, and I'm a high executive. And at one point, I remember one point it must've been in the fall uh, when I was working in Pennsylvania and I was looking out my office window watching the landscaper with this little backpack leaf blower. And I literally mm-hmm. thought, like, I'm going to go downstairs and ask that guy to switch for the rest of the day. Like, he could just yep. at my computer and bang on the keyboard. I don't care what he does, but I can't. I need to downshift because I need to get out of this stress response. And if you just told me I could oper- I could work with the hum of a machine on my back and just be like, <laughs> and just, oh, yeah. well, I, I would be content as all get out today. Yep. So that's, yeah, you're, you're perfectly right with that. Yeah, and I think some of that also comes down to the the uh, um, I guess the, the denigration of work mm-hmm. uh, in our, our culture that that we look at is you know if somebody saw you with that leaf blower on your back, I mean unless you explained it as some kind of new agey like oh this is part of my working meditation, um, <laughs> but they saw that be like what what's wrong? Are you a failure? Did you have to work? Yeah, because uh, you know successful people don't work. Successful yeah. people sit in offices, type on keyboards, stand in front of cameras. Successful people don't, and I've had some people say, um, you know, when I started taking the gig work, they're like, I, I wouldn't be putting that out there on social media. I don't think anyone's going to hire you if they see that. They they want to see you're successful. They don't they don't want to see you see you working. Yeah. And there's a lot of my potential clients um, aspire to be able to do what I'm doing, which is make my living by putting some apps on my phone and driving around town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right too on that on that devaluing real work and it's it, it it's a shame and it's also to something that like the idea of well success looks a certain way right mm-hmm. that success has to have a level of stress associated with it that's the other thing like in our culture like we are we are raised that way as a society that stress is a positive thing it's admirable right so if you think about working when you're really stressed out at work. That, that's almost like a societal sign that you're doing well, right? So, And the more stressful your job, the more admirable it is. And so it's this bizarre thing where it's like we, we just hold on to that as if it is a virtue. And it's mm-hmm. not. It's actually a – like if you think about it, stress is telling you you're in fight-or-flight mode, that like you're, <laughs> operating, you're operating on reduced faculties, right, because – systems are shutting down because they're only fighting for survival. And what's even more insane is like that should only be triggered when there's a real threat. But Mm -hmm. we like to think about like, uh, you know, rewarding people that are not only stressed in the moment, 
but begin stressing about things that haven't happened because it shows that they're thinking ahead. And it's like, that is insane. Like when you think about like, oh, let me get worked up and stressed about things, the threats that are not there yet. How, mm-hmm. how is that an attribute? And so it's really, I spend a lot of my time trying to kind of deprogram that and really and make it um, acceptable for people to, to walk away from that in their own, you know, for their own health. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I've, I've definitely hit some points sometimes in my business where I've said, you know, if, if someone were to call me up and offer me a, a relatively low stress job that paid $60,000, $70,000 a year, just, you know, nine to five, um, do this, make this much money, I might take it. Because um, <laughs> it'd be like, wow, I could just have my weekends off and just spend time with family and, and yeah. not, not worry about things. Um, yeah, I think you're totally right about the, the the culture is so much on, you know, grow, 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 grow. And I, I found in the coaching space, too, as soon as I moved into that space, everyone talked about six figures, seven figures. And I'll never forget a conversation I had with one coach. Of course, they were trying to sell me something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but, you know, they asked me what my goals are. And I said, well, I need like really five to $8,000 a month and I'm, I'm going to be quite comfortable. And they said, oh, no, no, no. You need to be aiming for $20,000 a month because otherwise, how are you going to refill your cup? So that you have something to give to your coaching clients. And, and I said, I refill my cup by helping my coaching clients. When when they say at the end of the call, this has been so helpful. This has been amazing. Like, I'm glad we had this conversation. That's what makes me feel good. When I make an introduction to someone and they say, oh, I'm so glad I met that person. Thank you, Michael, for doing that. That's what does it. Getting a, you know, getting a check for $5,000 isn't what refills my my energy and and I did not work with this coach because they were a little bit too uh, money focused, but there's so many who are just focused on if it doesn't have a dollar sign on it, it's a meaningless statistic. And I'm so glad you brought that up because, and not just the money aspect, but the refilling the cup. And so when we think about like, how's how we're working towards things like our objective goals, anytime we're stressing or anytime we are putting out a lot of effort, it's an energy drain, right? So it depletes us. And what happens is if we get a success, let's say we accomplish an objective goal and we get that kind of that burst of energy and that recharge, if you break down what that's coming from, it's not actually coming from achieving the goal. It's coming from the emotional response we're getting once we achieve the goal because we're addressing some sort of emotional need. So when we prioritize our emotional goals, that starts to recharge our battery. And so the idea that like, oh, well, if my bank account hits a certain dollar amount, that's going to recharge me only if it provides an emotional reward. And mm-hmm. so the, the ability for you to identify like, hey, helping my clients recharges my battery, that is the most important thing for us as people. Because if you operate in a constant state of depletion, you are essentially emitting that radiation that's contaminating things. And when we think about what happens when we operate in a depleted state? A, we're not functioning at an optimal level, right? We can't see opportunities. We don't see solutions. We're irritable. We're angry. But more importantly, we actually destabilize kind of the fundamental things in life that actually contribute to our overall wellness, whether that's our sense of self, whether that's our health, whether that's our finances, whether that's our connections. And so it's like when you're depleted, it doesn't just stay in isolation. It has like, it's a contagion, right? It, it affects other things because you no longer have the energy to operate. So the ability to do something that recharges you, that refills your cup is absolutely essential to accomplishing anything. And so I think it's really, it's really awesome that you can identify that. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, I think that's, I, I like what you're saying about kind of the emotional, um, element to it too. Cause I think too, like part of what, what money does is that one of the big things is it eliminates the, the stress of, you know, how am I going to pay this bill? If I have X amount of money, I can now not worry about, you know, I can put all my bills on auto pay and whatnot. Um, but also kind of, kind of framing the emotional response actually reminds me of um, uh, another one of our conference 21 speakers, Michael O'Brien, his, his ideas, that idea of uh, your, your, your la- having your last bad day and that, that no day is good or bad on its own. It's, there's no objective measurement of this day has nine points. And so it is above the threshold. Um, every day is good or bad as you make it a good or bad day. And after he was nearly killed in a uh, bicycle accident, we got hit by a truck. It put it in perspective that a lot of the days he thought were bad prior to that accident weren't actually as bad as he thought they were. Um, and then deciding 
I'm not going to put the label bad on any days from now on because I could get hit by a truck. Yeah, <laughs> How's it compared to that? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. That's really insightful. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. So I think how it, everything is, and I'm, I, a bunch of quotes are crashing together in my head, but of various, uh, famous quotes of, of, you know, things are not good or bad, but, but what labels you, you put onto them. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So we're going to take a, a quick break where I'm going to share a little bit of information about conference 21, and then we'll be right back with Rob Tull from path Two coaching. As this episode comes out, Conference 21 is this week, February 19th, 20th, and 21st. But this is not the only Conference 21. So if you're listening to this episode a week from now, two weeks from now, whatever, don't worry. You didn't miss it. Conference 21 is not just an event. It is a community on an ongoing basis. The event itself, the main event, is going to be quarterly. So the next one's in May, and then one in August, and then one in the fall, maybe November. That's what we're thinking. But ongoing between them, we've got networking events. We've got a Facebook community. There's so much more to it than just the conference itself. So check it out, conference21.com. As always, it will always be $21 to attend each conference. So it's very accessible, very affordable, and the talent is going to get better and better. So check it out, conference21.com. So I'm back with Rob Tull of Path2 Coaching, one of our uh, Conference 21 speakers, and we were talking about uh, we were talking about kind of the, the the emotional radiation that you give off when you're overly stressed and when you're not working at your best. Uh, so, Rob, if if somebody does realize that they're you know when they have that moment when they 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 see that stress reflecting back off their kids, off their spouse, off their friends, and they say, "Oh my God, that's me. He's talking about me." <laughs> what what what's the first thing they should be doing to 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 fix that before before it does burn everything down. Yeah, that that that's a great question. So um, one of the things that is really helpful is uh, to get an orientation about like what's actually going on um, in life. And so what I so for my own experience and what is a, a process that works very well for my clients is when we step back and orient around a couple things. And the first thing we orient around is the idea of what goals we're pursuing. And um, what emotional benefits are we trying to get from them? And what barriers do we see? Now, so I have a, an online course that walks through this, and I use the term waypoints for goals. And the reason I refer to them as waypoints is it, it sticks with the theme of we're on a path of life. Um, and a goal implies it's at the end, right? So a goal is, oh, that's the finish line. Um, and nothing is ever a finish line for us. And so I think of things as waypoints. These are points of interest we want to pass through. They are of value to us, and that's what we're working toward. And so I think of goals as waypoints that then lead to emotional rewards. There's some sort of emotional reward we want from getting to this waypoint, and then there's some sort of barrier that we see in the way. So I think of it as kind of a web, so it's a W-E-B. Um, and, we, and we map out what we see is that kind of logical flow of, this waypoint is important. Like I'm trying to get to this waypoint because when I get there, I will have this emotional experience, but I can't have that right now because of these barriers. And so what we really focus on is the idea of why do we think we can't have that emotional experience right now? And so we really want to challenge those idea of are those real barriers or are they just excuses stopping us from the waypoint, that objective goal? that actually has nothing to do with the emotional goal. We've just linked them together. Mm -hmm. And so, and the way we do that is then to step back and say, okay, let's get oriented again about what our values are and what our passions are. And what I say about passions is these are the things that when we do them, we end up in a flow state very easily. And so that flow state, if you think about like fight, flight, freeze, and flow, Flow is that idea of you're, you're dropped in, you're in the zone. It's something that is in alignment with your intuition. And so when we have an ability to step back and say, well, what are my values as a person? And then when in my life have I done things where I've been in the zone and just like literally I've been totally present in the moment, I've been completely engaged in my activity, in all likelihood, that's an activity that I truly like. And is in alignment with my values somehow. 
So we identify those things, those kind of values and those moments when we're in flow and say, okay, is that happening in work or in day-to-day life, like where you're trying to work towards that objective goal? In all likelihood, the answer is no, because otherwise you wouldn't have that kind of stress and anxiety that's being built up. Mm -hmm. And then it's, okay, well, what can we do using those activities that we've identified where, you know, we fall into flow and that align with our values that if we did some activity, how would that, what emotional reward would we get from it? So we, we want to decouple that unmet, unmet emotional need from the objective goal that's causing all the frustration. And so when we're able to do that, it really dials down the amount of stress. And, and, and I like to think of it as dialing down the temperature. Uh, so if you imagine being in a crucible, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the crucible only sucks when the heat is high right? That's where it's worse. Otherwise, you're just, you're just in a bowl. And so really, you want to dial down the heat and say, okay, now let's think about this. Um, and that, when we focus on values and flow states, that's where a lot of people have an aha moment of, oh, here's all these things that I love and that, re- and again, refill my cup, and I'm doing none of them. So if I can start to do some of them, now I'm in a much better spot at home, the radiation isn't there. I can now solve problems better. And so it really is. That's that's one of the really early techniques we can do that I think of as like triage, right? You you got you gotta stop, you gotta stop the bleeding immediately. And that's the first thing to do. Yeah, that, and that, that that makes a lot of sense. I'm thinking back to different times in my my life when I've been more or less successful. And and the, yeah, that, that flow state, you know, cause coaching is one of those things where I like really get in the flow when I'm coaching someone selling coaching is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was doing more selling and less coaching, I was less happy about it. But speaking is one of the places where I do. Um, yeah. And one of the things that's turning out to be most successful is running a speaking conference because event planning also. Um, and just kind of sitting back to say, where, where does that flow state come from? And what are the things to get you there? And then how can you, how can you make a living? Um, that can, that conform to places that give you that flow state. Right. And we'll see, that's actually really, so you just hit something that's really interesting. The idea of how can you make a living in that flow state? And so one of the things that I find, and and it's a a fun little experiment anybody can do. um, If you think about your dream activity, the thing that you could do for the rest of your life, just as an activity, oftentimes we think about that and we turn it into some sort of business idea, right? So if it's, oh, I could, you know, whatever, I like drawing and, and, and uh, creative writing myself. And so I think about artistic expression. And so if I said, oh, God, I could do that for the rest of my life, I immediately put it into a context of how do I earn money doing this? How, how do I make this a career? Well, now I just took something that satisfies me emotionally And I'm trying to make it solve an objective goal, money. Mm. Now I start to layer on all these other things on this activity in order to justify doing it, even though I'm totally in love with it and it makes me feel alive. I have to somehow justify or rationalize my ability to spend time doing it because I have all these other goals and responsibilities I need to figure out. So now it's layered on this other crap. Then I start to address this other stuff, all these objective goals, and I it, it's either difficult, it's it's either you know demoralizing, like you said from the coaching, you don't like selling coaching. So when it's a business and you're focused on selling, now you're doing an activity you dislike and doing less of the activity you actually like, mm-hmm. which is the core. And so we spend a lot of time trying to turn our passions into businesses and justify spending time on them. And it's almost a losing battle. And it's almost better to say, how do I do this activity in in a way that it just recharges me and has no other obligation to me? Because oftentimes, if we can't justify doing it, we don't do it at all, right? So the idea of me being an artist or being a writer, if I couldn't earn a living that way, it had no place in life. Now I just focus on a career in financial services and gave everything to the career because it solved the goal. And then I had this massive unmet emotional need that was you really want to do something you love. 
and I couldn't justify spending any time on it. So then it literally was entirely unmet. It was under, it, it was, it was mal, just like malnutrition essentially where that deficiency then contaminated everything else. And so when we think about, you know, the possibility of, do I change careers to do what I love? That's not the answer. That's blowing up what you have. It's the idea mm. of how do we work in the things that are missing and still keep everything else in place to the extent that it's healthy and then find a way of, okay, is doing that activity a little bit refilling my cup? Because oftentimes it is, it's just a little bit that we need and it recharges us to where all of the other problem sets change from our perspective because now we're operating at a different level. Yeah, yeah it makes, it's, it's really reframing what the the ultimate ultimate goal is, ultimate objective waypoint. Um, well, I guess it wouldn't be ultimate waypoint, but the, <laughs> the <laughs> if you reframe the ultimate goal from how do I make a living writing to how do I make a life where I can write? Yes. Um, and, 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 you know, you see people like that sometimes. And, and again, because of the bias of our culture, we, we see that as, as they're unfocused. But, you know, if somebody's really passionate about um, sci-fi fandom and they love going to conventions, they love seeing the movies. And so they get a job that pays them a decent wage that they don't have to take home. And every hour at that job is in pursuit of having the money so they can go to the next convention. Right. And I, I think we see them, we see that kind of person as like escapist and um, unfocused and immature, but really they know what they want. They know what makes them happy. And, um, and so, you know, they're really doing what you talk about, which is, and, and they're probably not stressed out because the job does what it's supposed to do, which is support the thing. And they're not trying to figure out how do I make conventions make money? Right. Exactly. And then think about it too. I mean, that's what we teach our children. If you think about just the school system, right? What's the purpose of school? To get good grades because it's a checkpoint to move on to something else, college, mm -hmm. jobs. We don't actually say, are you learning and having fun? We assume mm -hmm. that grades reflect whether or not they're learning. But that, So it's the exact same structure, right? Imagine if you were in school and you loved history, just loved it, but you didn't care for tests or you didn't like doing the assignments, but you absolutely learned everything and your grades didn't reflect what you were learning. Mm -hmm. They label you a failure or an underachiever, despite the fact you actually got what the entire purpose of the education system is, which is you learned. It's just that you didn't produce the metrics that other people do. So it's like if I have a job that I love and affords me the ability, but not necessarily love, but it affords me the ability to do the stuff I love, but I'm not getting promotion year after year because I don't, I don't want it, the job to become stressful. It's like, wow, Rob's been in the same position for, you know, 10 years. He's, he's maxed out his potential. No, I haven't. It's just mm -hmm. that I'm choosing to do what I really think life is about, which is doing things I enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, there, I'm thinking back, there was a point at which I was, cause I was driving, driving Uber on the side. Um, but my main business was building these community magazines and selling the ads and, you know, doing the, the real work that was growing so I could make real money to do real things. And I had this thought of, wow, you know, if, if I was younger and less attached, I could just do, I could just drive 40 hours a week, meeting people, driving around, listening to music, listening to podcasts. This is, this is kind of a life. Make 22 bucks an hour. It's pretty good. And then that, that, that would have freed me up to then focus on, on, you know, running events and, and doing that kind of fun stuff. Um, but, you know, at the time it didn't seem like an option because I was focused on, um, you know, I need to build my my important career, my business that's taking me places. And I didn't tell people I drove Uber because that would show my my business was failing, um, and it would have would have been embarrassing. But you know, now now I'm realizing money is simply a means to an end, and you got to pay the bills so you can do the thing you really want to do. Um, and, and, and for and for you, that it's an injustice that doing something like driving Uber is is labeled you know unsuccessful. And here's why. Because if you think about it, how many people actually have time to just think throughout the day <laughs> where they can just spend time in their head and think things through, whether it's problems, whether it's just contemplating philosophies, whether it's just imagination. So the idea that you could do an activity that's earning you money and provides you time to think when time to think is literally very scarce. 
And then layer on top of that the opportunity to meet random people and get a really good cross-section of just observation from people of different walks of life that normally requires you to travel or go to different circles of people. Mm -hmm. In your situation, they're coming to you. So it provides an opportunity to think and an opportunity to get exposed to people and circumstances you might not otherwise. We don't have time for that because we're so, as a society, we don't value that. But when you Mm -hmm. think about how important that is, for really changing the trajectory of your life, it's massive. It is massive. So it really is an injustice that that kind of opportunity is viewed as something negative, whereas the intangible value of that is is immeasurable. Yeah, and it's interesting because if I try to take time off, sometimes my wife will be like, "Hey, you're stressed out. You need to take some time off. You need to you need to take a break." And I'm like, "Cool. How do you do that?" Right. <laughs> you know, if I just sit there and watch TV or take a walk or whatever, and within 30 minutes, like I really should be, or, or, or something will pop into my head and I'll be like, Oh, Oh, I should work on that right now. I should write that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And so, you know, the, the only thing that can, can make me take a break is if I'm getting paid for it in some way. So yeah, you're, you're right. It's a huge, uh, a, a huge asset. Um, and, and, and I think the biggest thing to realize too, is that we live in a very, weird, challenging economy. You know, the, the world of go work at the factory for 35 years and get the gold watch and, and have a comfortable life doesn't exist. There's, there's no, there's no safe path anymore. There's no path. It's not like you can either take a chance and be an entrepreneur or you can get a safe job. Mm-hmm. It's you can take a chance or you can be broke. <laughs> They're all chances, whatever you end up doing. Uh, Cause you know, the, the only thing that's not taking a chance is working a low wage job and guaranteeing you're going to be broke. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like I said, I'm in the financial services and I can tell you my own personal philosophy is the concept of retirement is obsolete. There is no such thing as retirement. A, the the ability to save where you actually don't have to work in the future, just based on working a normal job and socking money away. That is an impossibility. It, that, that it just doesn't mathematically, it's an impossibility. But then more importantly, when you think about what retirement is, so often we think about it, that's when I finally get to do the stuff I want to do. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. So you're going to wedge all the stuff I like and want to really spend my time doing to the years where I probably am least able to do it. And so it's, okay, let's, let's reevaluate this. And that was, that would, for me, was a huge factor in really reprioritizing my path and saying, okay, what do I have to do? What are the things I want to experience? And I'm tired of waiting for them. Like I, I had pushed so much stuff off to retirement. And, um, and when I lost, I literally lost everything. And so I realized that you cannot assume that something is going to be available in the future. And so I started to adopt a mentality, which was really three questions that would, what that would take me from, possibility to action. And it was, you know, what if, and it was fill in the blank. What if I started to teach right now? And because I love teaching, I love speaking. What if I just started doing that right now? And then, well, why not? Right? Because there's always reasons why not. There's all these, you know, objective nonsense questions that how you got to pay the bills. You got to do this. You got it. And so it's, why not let all that stuff come out and then say, okay, why not do it now? Like, don't wait, do it now. And that that call to action has really completely changed the outcome of my life. And so that idea, like, you're right, like the idea of like working for 35 years and then getting taken care of for the remainder of your life so you can, you know, go fishing or you just sit on the porch, that doesn't exist. And so mm-hmm. we kind of need to take control of it now. And, and if we just wait for the uncertain future, I mean, would anybody predict what the last 18 months have, un, you know, revealed? No, exactly. So it's like, why why would I be foolish enough to assume that, oh, this is the only blip that's going to happen in the next 30 years between now and when I want to retire. But it's, that's silly. Yeah. Well, and and beyond that, it, I think some people may think, well, you know, when I retire, I can do all the things I want to do. And they never stop to think about what are all the things I want to do. Mm -hmm. And if any of that involves spend time with your kids, uh, waiting 20 years is not going to serve your purposes very well. Oh no. Yeah, Absolutely. They ain't gonna be kids anymore. Yeah, um, and, and you alluded a bit to your your own story and mm-hmm. 
and how your own your own radiation blow blow everything up. Yeah, can you share a little bit more about kind of what what brought you? Because um, sounds like you you uh, paid uh, paid well for the lesson. Yes. Yeah, so, so I had the, I had a very stereotypical um, you know top one percenter lifestyle essentially. Um, gorgeous house in the suburbs, the electric car, a partner, two beautiful boys, the, the whole nine. And, um, essentially went from in a period of call it three months, having that all to a failed suicide attempt because it was all getting taken away from me. Um, and so it was in a very brief period of time, I I lost basically my entire sense of self. I lost, uh, an entire life's worth of wealth that was accumulated, um, my health deteriorated and, and existing issues became very exacerbated. Um, lost my marriage, lost my relationship with my sons, um, and literally got into a situation where I was like, but I'm not doing what I want to do. I, I need to leave my career. It's too stressful. And basically had a number of barriers put up that said, you cannot, it is, you are not allowed to leave your career. You are not allowed to leave this stress. Um, as much as I fought it. And so it was like, okay, how do I solve for all these things? How do I address this emotional need to turn the stress off finally, to get unstuck where I can take care of all these financial obligations I have in front of me? Um, if I can't have the future I want, like my future, the future I wanted to be was, you know, an, an old grandfather, you know, still married with kids and grandkids running around. And since all that stuff got taken away, I didn't have a future. And so it was like, okay, how do I solve all these things? And the most rational thing was suicide. And so it was like, okay, this is a no brainer. Um, except, and, and I'll, I'll tell you this too, it was actually the right decision because the theme of the right decision was all of this cannot continue. So that was the correct decision. Um, <laughs> the method was poorly, the, you know, it was a terrible method, but it was the right decision that this cannot continue. Um, and I didn't contemplate what happened if I didn't actually die. And so I thought I was solving all my problems. And then three hours later, I realized I solved nothing. And now I have a bigger problem. And the bigger problem is now what? Like I just used the nuclear option, you know, and it was a dud now, (laughs) right. You know, it's like you push the button and like nothing happens. And it's like, oh crap. That was, I thought the credits were going to roll and they're not. Um, and so that, that really caused the ability to, to step back and say, okay, well, now you need to rebuild something and, and you're, you're left with all these little pieces. What do you do? Um, and so that really kind of opened my eyes to, to what are the important goals in life? And then what is it that I need to address? And, and thankfully, again, that was my own, ver- instead of it being a non-discretionary event, Unfortunately, it was discretionary, but it had the same kind of impact in that it stripped away everything. And now it left a sense of freedom of, well, you get to pick. What are you going to pick? Um, and so that was very liberating. Well, in some degree, it, when the worst thing you can imagine is behind you, mm-hmm. um, I imagine that's a very liberating sense because I think a lot of people live in fear of what if I lose my job? What if my spouse leaves me? What if I lose my health? What if, what if, what if? Yeah. And if you're like, what if? Well, that was last year. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, totally. Well, yeah, I, no, I totally. Yeah. And a lot of that too, that thought is, uh, and that's something I work with clients too on is that idea of worst case scenario. Like we're such a society that focuses on the worst case scenario. Um, and what happens is we actually take action based on all the what ifs, right? So if you were to worst case scenario something and say, well, oh, here's all these bad things that could happen. It scares you out of taking action, mm-hmm. despite the fact that they're only possibilities. So it's like when we do that, we actually really shortcut ourselves. And so, but yet, if we think about positive things, we don't take action when we see a positive outcome. We just file it away. But yet when we see a negative outcome, we actually take action. And we're like, oh, I got to do something to avoid that. Even though it probably has the same likelihood as something positive, we don't do anything based on the positive, but we do something based on the negative. It's just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work in our best interest. Yeah, we, we we're very catastrophizing yeah. kind of society in, in a lot of ways, and and you know I I think in some ways I've been been blessed by not having a an unbroken string of success behind me, um, because like I I started a, a business out of college that was 
a, not only a business, but it was a community center and a community. And it was, you know, very important to me in, in ways more than a business. And so one of my great fears is what if this fails? Yeah. And then it failed. Um, <laughs> so, so that was behind me. Um, you know, I had another experience where I was part of an organization um, and again, a community where uh, it, it would end up being taken down by, um, you know, I, I, I got to experience and discover what fake news was long before everyone else did. Wow. Um, and, and basically a group of people who put together some stories that had a kernel of truth and then built something around it and, and created all kinds of mistrust and lies and, uh, and, and, you know, friends turning on friends and, and, you know, it's again, one of those, like, what if all, my, what if a whole bunch of my friends turned on me? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that, that happened. <laughs> so it, once those things are behind you, those worst case scenarios, like, eh, you know, what if I only made $10,000 in a year? Done it. What if I was homeless? Well, it'd be like that. Well, what if my business failed? Oh, it'd be like this. And they're all behind me and none of them killed me yet. So, you know, you, you get a lot more fearless when you're, um, yeah, as I like to say, you have you have an unblemished record of surviving everything you've been through so far. You are <laughs> undefeated. Right. Yeah, if you begin with the premise of, well, I survived, and that's your beginning yep. point, you, you already have something to work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it could kill me, but it would be the first thing. Right, but that, <laughs> then you really don't have any concerns at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's true. Yeah, sometimes you almost look at it as like, so what, could, what are the outcomes? I could die. Well, yeah, then whatever. We're not going to... Not gonna have regrets about that one, uh, or I could, <laughs> yeah, or I could end up in a place where I was in two thousand three or two thousand five or two thousand nine or two thousand eighteen or yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think some people, as you know, as, as I said, so being stuck in failures is not as bad as being stuck in success. So true. That is that is absolutely true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, definitely. I think the people who have the greatest challenge are the ones who. They, they went to the good school, they got the good job, they, they, they got married, and they've never known anything other than the unbroken road. Yeah. And so they are terrified of what is, what's past the guardrail. And that's exactly it. And that's what keeps people frozen and stuck because they're so afraid to lose all the stuff that they've worked on. And so that's also a priority for me when I work with clients is the idea of we're not trying to lose what we already have. We're trying to get the things we're missing um, because so many times it becomes a binary decision, right? Somebody thinks, well, if I want to get what I want, I have to give up what I have. And that's not the truth. Um, that That's a scare tactic that is essentially baked into us from society's perspective of, you know, the scarcity of success. And, hey, someone's just waiting to take your place, man. The moment you lose focus, someone's going to step in and take everything you have. And that's it's just in order to kind of keep the entire system running. It's it, That is not true. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely, and I, I think that's one of the great things that we're discovering, like the gig economy and um, and this very self service kind. Of, and you know, the downside is if you're not savvy, you're you you can get ground up in the gears of it. Mm-hmm. But if you're a bit sa- a little savvy, and a little ambitious. I don't mean seven figure ambitious, but a little savvy, and a little ambitious, and you know. You're smart enough to when you drive Uber to also have the Lyft app on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Uber changes their policies and you make three dollars less an hour, well now you're a Lyft driver, um, and, and you're you stand up for yourself a little bit. Then then there's a lot of opportunity that you know no one's going to take your spot. Right. It's it's not you know, no one's going to take your DoorDash spot. <laughs> they, they, they may take your spot in the office, but no one's going to take your DoorDash spot. And if they do, become a Grubhub driver. Um, and so it it kind of it it almost levels the playing field of. Um, of, you know, there's different opportunities you can seize and there's much less, there's much less fear in that. Um, and it lets you kind of build, go forward, even if forward is a little bit diagonal. Oh, absolutely. And you just, and all you need to do is just be in that spot where you can actually see those opportunities as opposed to just constantly feel like you're running for your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a huge thing. And I, I think you're right. A lot of people get, get caught into the, especially that, you know, someone wants your spot if you're in a corporate environment. Yeah. And you've been there for a while and you're kind of attached to that job. And, you know, your, your boss might even say, you know, a lot of people love to have your job. Nudge, nudge. So see you at 6 a.m. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. How dare you be unhappy? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's and that's the thing is we mistake gratitude for contentment. Right. You can I mm. be grateful and still want something different. Um, and, and so that's the thing is sometimes we get caught up in that. Wow. I have a really blessed life. I shouldn't ask for anything more. Well, if you're not happy, uh, you might want to think about asking for something more. That's the idea of like, well, I really like this food. Too bad I'm allergic to it. 
okay, <laughs> grateful for it. It doesn't mean you should eat it if it's going to kill you. Like, yeah, that's. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. I love that concept of gratitude versus contentment. That yeah. And have gratitude, but still, and, and I, yeah, I, I, um, I, yeah, I wrote an article about that a few a few months ago too, because because a lot of people were, were facing that challenge, especially with COVID. They'd be like, I, I feel bad wanting more because I have a job still, and so many people don't have a job. So you know, am I being ungrateful by looking for something better? Right. And the answer is, of course, no. You know, you know, yeah. just because yeah, you're barely surviving, and the person next to you is starving, doesn't mean you should try to do better just because they're starving. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's it, it, and so often we get caught into that because, again, something, you know, we get discouraged from trying to do things that make us feel good. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's not embraced. Think about it. The whole the whole mantra of our work style is embrace the suck. Like yeah. it, it should be miserable. Oh, OK. Like that. It's that, just so counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it would, you know, embrace the suck is, is a great exercise slogan. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I would say when I when I when I'm doing karate, um, they'll some. But when they say embrace suck, it, it's kind of like with a winky face. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But you know, stand in your deeper stance, and I know your legs are burning. Embrace the suck. But part of the embrace the suck is that you're you're getting into almost an exercise flow state, and you're getting the endorphins going. Mm-hmm. So by the end of it, the suck is like, yeah, this sucks. Woo! As opposed to when you're in the office and it sucks, it just sucks. Right. And um, the idea that there's a finite end to it, as opposed to my life, which is that shouldn't be my mantra for life. <laughs> you know, like it's one thing when it's discreet and I could be like, Oh, embrace the suck for an hour. Sure. For, for mm-hmm. you know, two hours, maybe, uh, for 60 plus years, eh, I'm going to pass. Yeah. yeah. It's just this lifetime. You need to embrace the suck. Cause the next one will be awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's a good thing about Buddhists. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which I say that is the philosophy. And that's, yeah. that's part of the concept that philosophy yeah. is, is the people, you know, the dirt farmers, you're like, embrace the suck because next time we be better. Okay, just embrace the suck for another 30 years. Well, and when your life, life expectancy is 28 years, it's not so hard to embrace the suck. <laughs> it's not so hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. For, for, for here, be like, yeah, you only go around once, but uh, embrace the suck. And uh, when you retire at 75, you'll have like three years of sitting on the porch Correct. with arthritis. So mm-hmm. that'll be cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, just, just enjoy that. It'll be cool. Uh, hopefully you'll be able to retire if you still have any money left. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, definitely finding other ways to do that. Well, it's been great, great talking to you. This has been a wonderful conversation. Uh, and I'm very excited to have you at the conference where people can, of course, find you at the link again is conference21.com. Yes. And, um, but then your own link is uh, path2coaching.com. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Path, the number okay. two, and then coaching. So it's, the, I always talk about the second path. Um, so oh, path nice. to coaching. Yeah. Gotcha. Ah, I, I don't know if that was just like a path to coaching, like a way to get to coaching, but path two makes even more sense. Yeah. The philosophy is always, Hey, there's always another path. And it's again, it's yes, a new it. path and let's find it. Yeah. Um, and so, so if someone is, is listening to this being like, you know, I think I have the problem that he's offering the solution to, um, what, would they go to your website and that explains like how you can help them and programs oh, you have? Yeah. You can go to, go to my website again, path number two coaching.com. Um, and there's discussions about, you know, I have a course that's coming out soon on this. Um, currently working on a book and coaching, uh, do group coaching. And now I'm also on social media. I also, I love to put out content, like in terms of nice. educating people. It's like, that's, that's, that's my main calling. And so absolutely reach out and I'm, I'm happy to help. You said your book coming out? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Currently yeah, working it. on a book. The course is coming out. The book is still in production. Okay. And hopefully it comes out in audio form soon because I can listen to it in the car. <laughs> yeah, it would be great. Which is where I consume many of my books. Right. All right. Well, great having you on the show. And uh, thanks for being here. Yes. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate it. This is the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast with Michael Whitehouse. Segment introductions by Rowan Whitehouse. Our theme song is composed by Patrick Howard of Four Unicorns Design. Other music was Bits and Bites by Klaus Appel and Summer Ambient Piano by Raphael Crook of filmmusic.io. Find us on the web at www.guywhoknowsaguy.com. Questions can be submitted in written form or as an audio file to michael at guywhoknowsaguy.com. If you've enjoyed this show, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. You can also follow The Guy Who Knows a Guy on Facebook at facebook.com slash the guy who knows a guy. If you know someone who may enjoy this episode or the podcast as a whole, we welcome you to share our links with them. Thanks. I'll see you next week. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. 
If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect. JV-Connect.com. That's JV-Connect.com. December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.